We're going to ramble. We talk about joy this morning. Anybody want a little joy? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody need a little joy? I need a little joy. In the book of Romans, it tells us that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So my heart on this is that we are people of the kingdom. Can we agree with that? We're not of this world. We're people of the kingdom. And if we need to know what the kingdom of God is, and we need to know that the Holy Spirit tells us, that the Bible tells us that this is, how the whole, this is what the kingdom of God looks like, and this is how the kingdom of God is revealed, and it's revealed through righteousness, peace, and joy. And I've heard that quoted to me for many years when I was walking and under, excuse me, in my developmental phases, but nobody ever really explained to me what righteousness, peace, and joy actually is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? As Christians, we say these things, but we really don't even understand what it is that we're, we're talking about. And we just act like we know what we're doing. So if we're going to understand a kingdom, we should understand what righteousness is. And righteousness is what is right to God. Peace is shalom, or universal flourishing. It means to rise, to prosper, to succeed. God's design and desire for you is to rise, to prosper, and to succeed. Aren't you glad? What a blessing. He loves you that much. And the Bible also says that it's joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is the outworking of God's dominion or the outworking of God's rulership in the earth. And so God wants his plans to be made in the earth, what is right to him. God wants universal flourishing. He wants the culture, he wants the kingdom culture to come into our culture and cause the world to prosper. Not just individuals, but the church and ultimately the culture itself. And he wants joy. One of the dominions or the rulership of God in the earth is joy. So what is joy? Hmm, good question. Joy is an inward confidence or or satisfaction of a spiritual reality. What joy is, joy is not based upon circumstances. Circumstances can be telling you one thing, but your heart can be full of joy in spite of what you're experiencing. That's the deal. Joy is related to a higher reality and not the lower reality. So as Christians, these are spiritual dynamics. The kingdom of God is in the spirit. We that worship God must worship him in spirit and is what what is true. We have to understand spiritual things. And Corinthians tells us that spiritual things are spiritually understood. In other words, spiritual things cannot be naturally understood. Spiritual things quite often don't make the most sense to our natural mind, yet somehow they make sense to our heart. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You hear spiritual things, you're kind of like, hmm, I don't quite understand that, but your heart's like, wow, this is cool. I kind of get that, right? So that little interlude that we did there where we were worshiping and we were communicating and partnering with the Spirit, your heart was understanding it and your being was partnering with it, but your mind was kind of going, oh, this is kind of crazy. What am I doing here? Is this real? Is this right? Is this wrong? Because it's a spiritual thing. You're partnering with a spiritual truth. The Lord is speaking in the spirit and he's calling us into a partnership with him in what he's saying in the spirit. That's how it works. Human beings are uniquely designed to partner between two worlds. We were talking about this first service. We are designed like no other being in the universe. We have the ability to manifest what we partner with. We can partner with lies and we manifest lies. Or we can partner with truth, 
and we manifest truth. What we, what we agree with is what we become. What we agree with is the reality in which comes into uh, around us. We literally have the ability to switch environments and to switch realities by believing truth in spite of circumstances. You can believe truth in spite of your circumstances. Your circumstances may say poverty, but truth said blessed in all ways prosperous. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. People say, that's spiritual prosperity. He covers it all, dude. Prosper, be healthy. So prosper, what does prosper mean? It means prosper. What does be in health? It means be sound in body, be sound in your health, in all ways, even as your soul prospers. So he's covering all the bases. So we try to segment that down, thinking this is what Jesus meant. That's not what he meant. He means prosper in every way. So your reality can say broke, but truth says the ability to prosper is given to you. The ability to succeed is given to you. Your reality can say failure, but your truth says that God has given you the ability to obtain wealth that he may establish his covenant in the land. Which one are you going to agree with? And what we typically agree with was the one that's the, is the path of least resistance. Let me explain something to you. Reality is always the path of least resistance. Yes, thank you. One man over there, one woman over there. I thought that was Luigi back there. Isn't that? Reality is always easier to follow than truth. Always. It's easier to just go with your circumstances and accept your circumstances because it doesn't require anything of you where truth requires you to stand up, requires you to believe, requires you to endure, requires you to contend. Truth requires something of you. Reality doesn't really require anything of you except to go with it. So if you get where I'm going with this, joy is an inward satisfaction of a spiritual reality. You can say, I'm completely broke or I've just lost everything. But my God says he will bring beauty to ashes. He will bring beauty from ashes. He will work all things out to my good. Failure is not final. Failure is a setup for the next opportunity. It just depends on what truth you're going to believe. Or are you going to go down into the mire and wrap yourself up into a ball and say, this is the end, this is everything. You'll never have joy. Because joy partners with a greater reality. Joy is not partnering with the immediate circumstances, if you understand that. You can have joy believing that you're, you are born again and you will live forever. Have you ever thought about that? Yes. You are immortal. Has that ever dawned on you? Has that ever rooted in you? You're immortal. You will not die. I am he who was and who has died and who is alive forevermore. And he gives to you eternal life. Life eternal. Immortality. Hello. You mean I got to learn to play the... Yeah, that's right. Say it with me. I want you to feel it. I am immortal. <laughs> that's right. So I'm going to have enough time to learn the piano. I'm going to be given a concerto in eternity. <laughs> All the time, man. I always wanted to play the piano. Now I got enough time to learn how to play the piano. Oh, you're immortal. Joy, you get, if you just understand that, you are forgiven and given eternal life. That is a joy in your heart that has nothing to do with how you're experiencing life. It's just a joy. You're like, man, I'm going to live forever. My sins are forgiven. I can't screw this up even if I tried. Nope. Nope. <laughs> that should be freedom to a lot of us. I can't screw it up even if I try. 
Jesus has no confidence in you, but he has supreme confidence in himself. He who began the good work will be faithful to, 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 to do it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He didn't say, now that you've begun the good work, I need you to be faithful to complete it. That's not what he said. He will be faithful to begin or to finish what he's begun in you. Source of joy, the Bible says the Lord of, the, excuse me, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy comes from the presence of the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Huh? Say this with me. I must learn to practice the presence of the Lord. If you do not learn to practice the presence of the Lord, you will not have the fullness of joy. You will not. Because the presence, the Bible says the fullness of joy is in the presence of the Lord. So the presence of the Lord, once we practice his presence, releasing and receiving, engaging him in the spirit, we have access to the fullness of joy. If we will not access the spirit, we will not access the fullness of joy. This is why we got a bunch of Christians walking around, like look, look like somebody stole their candy bar or something. You know, they're really mad, not really happy. We're supposed to be joy bringers, right? We're the redeemed of the Lord. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's our heritage. And yet we look completely the opposite of that because we don't understand that joy is found in his presence. And if the Christian does not learn to practice his presence, we cannot access fullness of joy. It's like this morning, you're here and you're practicing his presence. I guarantee you, you're not going to be as mad as you walked in the door. When you walk out of here, you won't be as mad as you were when you walked in. Guaranteed. You will be different when you leave. You say, how do you know that? Because the presence of the Lord is here. You cannot encounter the presence of God and not be changed. It is impossible. You cannot encounter the presence of the Lord and not be changed. You just can't. It's what you're made for. Jesus is the desire of nations. He is everything you are looking for. Everything. He is everything the nations are looking for. They just don't know it. He is everything that every human being is looking for. They just don't know it. He is the fulfillment of all desire. And in his presence is fullness of joy. So we have to know where joy comes from. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy comes from him. You're not going to find joy in the cars, in the toys, in your family. You're not going to find joy in any of that. We try to find joy in all of the externals. And we realize it just doesn't satisfy us. God has given us the internal, externals in order that when we experience his joy, all this is, this is like an enhancement to the joy that he's already given us. You understand? That's all this stuff is. Your wife, your kids, your job, your whatever, name it. All that is is an enhancement to the joy that comes from him. That's why those things cannot, nor will they ever satisfy. It just won't. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You go on a vacation, you come home, you're like, that kind of happened, but then you're like, it just didn't get there. I, I've watched, I've read interviews and watched interviews with professional athletes, and it was a Christian guy, became born again. He, well, he went to two World Series, I'm going to totally date myself, it was in the 80s. But he uh, became a believer, and they went to the World Series twice in a row. The first time, he wasn't a believer. The second, within that year, he got saved. There's a picture of him at the World Series with a, with a batting glove on, he's holding it up like this, and it says, he is risen on the batting glove. Super cool picture, man. And he said that when they won the first World Series, he said the moment after we won it, we're in the locker room and champagne is flowing. And he said, this is it. This is it. You know? And it wasn't that he wasn't celebrating, but he had just realized, shouldn't, there, shouldn't I be feeling a little bit more than what I'm feeling right now? You know? So that, that's the, the point is, is that we cannot experience fullness apart from Christ. It just can't happen. 
There's a lack of satisfaction. It just, it just is. If you think your marriage is going to satisfy you, it won't. If you think your husband, your wife's going to satisfy you, they won't. If you think your children, they won't. It just won't. They're enhancements to the fullness. You got this? So we've got to know where we're looking when we need, when we're, where this stuff comes from. Joy has to be received. If I, say this with me, if I do not receive, I cannot experience fullness. Lots of people, okay, my wife knows this story quite well. We did a, years ago, we, we did this study on the book, of the, on the tabernacle. And if you look at how God made the tabernacle or the, the worship experience in the Old Testament, there were very few people that actually drew near, even though all could. All could draw near, but very few did. Huh? So this is the deal. All can draw near, but very few will. Huh? So if you're a Christian that likes to draw near, you're in the minority. Because a lot of Christians, they just like to stand on the wayside and just watch the ships go by. They like to watch it as from a spectator point of view. God's not called you to be a spectator. He's called you to be a participant. And participating in the gospel is messy. So let's get this straight. When we participate in the gospel of the things of the Lord, you're going to make a mess. And guess what? Here's a bigger one. The gospel is going to make a mess of you. Just is going to. And this is where we get all inconvenient. Oh, I didn't, wasn't expecting Jesus to make a mess. I wasn't expecting to be inconvenienced. That's the deal. So not only will you make a mess, and Jesus is okay with it, but the gospel is going to make a mess of you. Because what the gospel is going to do is going to shine light into areas of your life that you never have allowed light to come. There's more to being born again than just salvation. As you participate in the gospel and begin to press into the things of God, the light of the gospel is going to come into all the little dark corners and show you all the little things that are hidden away deep inside of you that you didn't even know were there. You're going to be like, what? Jesus is going to go, hey, Kevin, we've got to deal with this. I'm going to go, where did you get that? Down in the lower right crevice of your heart, I found this down here, you know. And The gospel is going to make a mess of you. The gospel is going to inconvenience you. That's why people, particularly Americans, we don't understand sacrifice. We don't understand that it's all or nothing. And so we, un- we, we don't get is that if the gospel inconveniences me, it must not be Jesus. If the gospel makes a mess of me, it must not be Jesus. And my answer to you is who told you that? Who told you that the gospel isn't going to wreck you? Who told you that the gospel isn't going to disorient you from everything you thought you knew? Or everything you thought you were. It's going to completely disorient you. But it's going to change you and transform you into who you were called to be. He's going to completely disassemble all of the parts. And he's going to put them all back together again in a sequence that's pleasing to him. Very few are willing to do that. It sounds easy. It sounds trite. As if we all do it. But we don't. We don't. Because it causes pain. It causes all of these crazy things to happen in our life. And you know when that's going on, the gospel's at work. It's not in Jesus isn't laying us all out on nice comfy beds and throwing grapes and dates in our mouth, saying just hold on till I come back and get you. That's our perception. That's not what he's doing. He is out to utterly wreck you. He roots out, pulls down, then he builds and plants. Jeremiah. He's rooting out. I've been walking with him a long time. And every time I step up, that's right. Every time I step up, you know what he starts doing? Rooting out and pulling down. Every single time. 
I'm like, I think everything's rooted out of me. Oh, no. Got more got to root. I'm like, are you serious, man? Must be received. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have, everybody say it with me, access into, by faith into his grace by which we stand, rejoice, hope in the glory of God. We have access. That doesn't mean we have entry. The believer is given access, but you must obtain entry. Do you understand that? You can have an all-access pass. You can put it in the back of your seat and back of your pocket and go sit on the, on the rail somewhere, and nobody cares. you got to use that all-access pass. You have access. And if you have access, you must enter in. We must go into the things of God. Into what? His grace. Grace is his enabling power. There is enabling power for every single one of you here today by the power of the Holy Spirit. What do you need? It's already provided. You must access it by the Spirit. If you will not access these things by the Spirit, it's wishful thinking. You're asking Jesus to do something that he's already done. He's already made available. Oh, Lord, if you will. No, he's going to go, go get it. It's right there. Right there. We see it with our own children, don't we? They want us, our kids want us to like serve them all the time and do all these things. Well, they reach a certain age and they're like, make a sandwich yourself, man. You know what I'm saying? You know how to open a ravioli can. You know what I mean? That's the way the Lord is. Go get what's yours. I've already made it available to you. It's right there. Go get it. Well, I want you to make me a sandwich. Well, if you're waiting on me to make you a sandwich, you're going to be hungry. That's the way the Lord is. If you're waiting on me to impart the power to you, if you won't get up and walk through the door, you're going to wait in vain. We have to enter into the things that God has for us. If you can't stand, you need to access. If you don't have enabling power, you need to access. If you're not rejoicing in hope, you need to access. You're failing to access. If you do not know the glory or the goodness of God, you need to access. Say it with me. I need to access. Say it with me. Holy Spirit, show me how to access. That's right. Next slide. It's there. It's there. He wants a church that understands the riches of its inheritance. He wants a church that flows in the rivers and the streams that he has already provided. He wants giant killers or those who know who they are and will step in and do what they are allowed or called to do. Where does joy come from? How do we get joy? One of the biggest things, say one of the, say one of the things that joy is, but not everything, it is a mindset. That's right. Here's Paul. Guy's been arrested by Rome. His charge is sedition. His charge is rebellion against the empire. You can't get a higher charge than that. Okay? You're bas he's basically being accused of undoing the Roman government because he was proclaiming a king other than Caesar. And not only was he proclaiming a king, Paul had established churches which the Romans viewed as a threat to their structure. So he was incited or charged with creating a rebellion, and Paul didn't deny it. Yeah, I am, but it's not a rebellion as you see it. It's a revolt against evil, and it is a, it is a revolution of love. It is a revolution of kindness. It is a revolution of mercy. It is a revolution of generosity. So he wouldn't deny that there was a re revolution. He wouldn't deny that he was a revolutionary. He wouldn't deny that Jesus was a revolutionary. They arrested him for doing that, and then they arrested him because he was planning sedition, or in their mind, he was proclaiming a king that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't Caesar. So here's the guy in chains. They, Romans didn't treat their prisoners kindly, so Paul's probably in rags, in chains, beat up, smelly, dirty, hungry, 
and he's dragged in front of a king to answer his charges. So his circumstances are not convenient. Can we agree with that? His circumstances are not pleasant. Can we agree with that? And what does Paul say? He said, king goes, answer for yourself. Verse 2, he says, I think myself happy. Say that with me. I think myself happy. That will solve probably a good 50% of all of our problems if we just started thinking ourselves happy. If we just started thinking ourselves fortunate. Joy is a mindset. Joy is a choice. And he goes into all these things and he begins to tell the king all of the things that he has done. But he concludes the matter with this statement. I have been true to the heavenly vision. I have joy in my heart because I have been true to that which God has called me to do. I have joy in my heart because I've been true to the very thing I've been put on this planet to do. Joy is a mindset. Paul wasn't feeling joy, okay? You're not feeling joy. Roman prisons were a hole in the ground, right? They lowered you down into a hole that was cold, that was damp, that was rat infested. You had to relieve your body in a corner. They didn't care. They weren't sanitized. They weren't thinking whether you're going to get hepatitis or not. They didn't care. There's rats down there that get bit. Oh, well, well, it must have been the judgment of, God's against, of the gods against you. That's how they viewed it. They'd throw you a plate of food every now and then, but if it rained on you, oh, well, you're a prisoner. You're a prisoner of Rome. They didn't care. His circumstances were not convenient. That's my point. Yet, he said, I think myself happy. I'm fortunate. Where do we get joy? It's a mindset. Colossians say, say this with me, set. Set your mind on things above. So this is an intention. We see to, believe, to have joy, you have to set your mind on things above. Not on things below, but on things above. We set our radios, we set our TVs, don't we? Scripture's telling you to set what you think about. Set your mind. It's an intention that uses, that uses, past, uses and moves past or subdues emotions. This is what it means to set your mind. Say it with me. I must subdue my emotions. Isn't that the hardest part? Huh? We can all pretend, but we're emotional beings. What it is, is joy is subduing your emotions and setting your mind upon what is true, not upon the circumstances. And what we have to do is we have to look at what is real, and then we have to find truth. Where's truth? This is what I'm dealing with, but what does the Lord say? What is God's word in spite of this circumstance? What is God's word in spite of this, this situation that I find myself in? If God be for me, who could be against me? Right? You get fired, oh well. They may not like you, but Jesus likes you. Okay? There's always a greater opportunity. You cannot be defeated. Defeat to the believer is only through quitting. You're not just immortal, you are unconquerable. Let that one resonate with you for a little bit. You say, me? Yeah, you. You say, what did I do? You believed in Jesus. When you give your heart to Jesus, he goes, I'll take it. Here's my heart. Boom, here's an inheritance. And most people look at the inheritance and go, oh, no, that's too much for me. Man, take the inheritance. Take what he offers. You're unconquerable people. The only way you lose is if you quit. That is the only way the Christian loses. The only way. That's why it's too soon to quit. We only lose when we quit. Even if, say this with me, for every setback, come on, help me out. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. That's right. I don't care how many times you've been set back, he's got a comeback for the setback. You will win. 
Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. Intention. You have to subdue your emotions, ensue all that you feel, and focus on what is real and true from heaven's perspective. That's the point. Finally, brothers, whatever things are new, whatever things are trouble, some of you guys need to write this verse down. It says, what do I think about? You think about all that. Is there anything good? Is there anything noble? Is there anything pure? Is there anything right? What's right? Think continually on these things. Implant them in your heart. Think about what is good. Right? Somebody said this. It doesn't take a genius to find dirt in a gold, in a coal, in a gold mine. It doesn't take, it's not hard for people to come into a gold mine and find out everything that's wrong. It doesn't take a genius to walk into a gold mine and find out all where the messes are and where the dirt is and what's wrong and what's not working. You're not a genius, okay? The genius is in discovering the gold. That's the genius. Where is the gold in the gold mine? Where is it? You're in a messy environment. I just had a revelation. It's dirty in here. I just had a revelation. There's dirt on the floor. I just had a revelation. It's all on me. Oh, well, you're not a genius. Find the gold. Find the gold in the gold mine. It's there somewhere. Find the gold. Where is good? What is worthy? What is going on? This is your reality, but what is, what is true? What is God saying? This is where joy comes from. Joy's affixed to a greater truth. Joy's affixed to a greater reality. Next slide, please. Whatever things are noble, think on these. Next slide. Spaces in between. This is what I want you guys to understand. I'm going to go quick. I'm a little long, but we were starting a little late. But you guys okay? Am I all right? Yeah? Okay, good. Yeah. That's right. Nev's always my fan. She's like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> anyway, spaces in between. There are things in this life that must be endured, and there are things in this life that are undeniable. What we don't do is we don't give permission to mourn. You are going to go through some very painful circumstances. You're going to go through some very painful situations. They're unavoidable. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Do you know what trouble means? Trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. In other words, there's not one situation, there's not one circumstance that you will face that I have not already overcome. I have it. I got you. It's all good. However, what is true is that there are things that are painful emotionally. There are things that are painful circumstantially. I told first service, stuff falls out of the sky, doesn't it? I mean, you didn't even know where stuff's landing around you and landing on you. And you're like, where in the world did this come from? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Things happen and you don't know why. You're like, what? first of all, maybe it's happened because of a poor choice, an ignorant choice. Who knows? But sometimes things happen just because they happen. And what do we do with that? We don't deny the emotion. This is big. You don't deny the emotion. There's a process of grieving that is necessary. There's a difference between going through grief and living in grief. Can we agree? Yes. It's okay to grieve. This is a dysfunction that we have as Christians is we don't understand that there is a process to grieving. We want everybody stand up, buck up, get ready, here you go. You know, wait a minute, I just lost someone very important to me. I just, this thing just hurt, this thing just over here, this is, you know, and we don't give anybody permission. Well, that's okay, get up and go again. Well, maybe they're not ready to get up and go again. You understand that? Because there's a natural response that has to occur. There's a grieving process that you have to go through. You know, I mean, I go through stuff all the time. I have letdowns all the time. And it's like my mind knows what's true. 
But my emotions, I have to wind down my emotions. I have to relieve myself of what I've been feeling, and I have to set that aside, and then I move on. That's how it works. You can't deny the feelings, but you don't live in them. That's the difference. You can grieve. When Moses died, they grieved for 30 days. They were wanting to grieve so long, they didn't want to stop. Oh, Moses, he was so good. They just got, they made, they made a lifestyle out of grieving. But after 30 days, the Lord showed up and spoke to Joshua, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's over. Close the chapter. Push the book away. Get up and go. Therefore, arise. These are the exact words. Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, you and these people arise. It's time to rise up. At some point, the grieving must end, and you must rise. We get it? So it's okay to grieve, but you can't live in grief. At some point, it's like, get up. It's time to rise. Play's over. Chapter's over. You can't do anything about it. Circumstances beyond your control. We did everything that we could. We prayed. We fasted. We did whatever it is that we did. We did as much as we could. Okay, we didn't do enough. We regret. So throw the regret in there too. Get rid of all that. Push it away and get up and go again. That's how it works. You understand that? God's not judging. You stop judging yourself. Get up and go. Joy must be found and it must be looked for. Everybody say it with me. I must look for joy. You got to look for it. It's the word rejoice. Rejoice. It's a compound word. Re, like return, you know. So re means go and get it or do it again. Repeat, right? So joy, you got to go get joy or you got to go find it. When the Bible tells us to rejoice, it means you're not feeling like it, right? If you're honest, you're like, oh, I just don't really feel like it. I don't feel like it. Well, you never feel like it. Come to the, come to the understanding that you're not going to feel like it. America is a very touchy-feely culture. It's what we are. We're super emo. We feel everything. We're just feelers, man. We like to feel everything. And if somebody says something that's direct, well, I feel that's harsh. I feel that's insensitive. That's our culture. So we operate so heavily, and we treat, teach our children to operate so heavily on feelings. Feelings are given to us to enheighten the experiences that we have with the Lord. Feelings are not given to us to lead us. That's important. Say it with me. Feelings were never given to me to lead me. Feelings were given to me to heighten my experience with the Lord. That's what they're for. They're not to lead you. So if you want to go by feelings, nobody feels like doing anything. If you're honest, you don't feel like getting up and going to work. You know, you don't feel like getting up and turning the light off. You don't feel like getting up and making food. You don't feel like anything. If we're really honest, we really don't feel like doing anything. Yeah. Truth be told. <laughs> we got to go get it. Bible tells us to have joy. Well, where do we get it? Go get it, man. Rejoice in the Lord again. And I always say rejoice. Here's Paul again waiting for his execution in the book of Philippians. He is writing to the church of Philippi in chains in Rome. So now he's moved from Agrippa. Now he's in Rome and he's waiting to be executed. He knows it's coming. They're going to kill him. They're going to cut his head off. He does not know when. It's coming. It may come before he finishes the letter. He does not know. Because that's all they did. They showed up. Okay, time to go. Off, go ahead. There you go. It's just like that. That's how they did it. They didn't give you any warning. You didn't have appeals. You got nothing. What they decreed is what they decreed. And Paul was under a sentence of death. Yet he's telling them, find joy. Find joy. I'm chained. 
in a really dark place. I'm in a really loser place. I'm not really where I want to be. I'm not really doing the things I really want to do. But I'm telling you from my experience, go find joy. Find joy. It's a celebration of God's goodness in spite of the circumstances. Your circumstances tells you one thing. You have to remind yourself. Put yourself in remembrance. You have to remind yourself that God is good. He is good. He is good. You have to tell yourself, no matter what's going on, my Father is good. We have pictures of this with David in the Old Testament, and we have the prodigal son in the New. Both of them made messes of their lives. I'm talking messes. We celebrate David like he's some saint. Have you ever seen what happened to David? David's living amongst his enemies. He's partnering against the very thing that he's, his family, his, his faith. He's working against everything that he's ever known. And he loses everything. You want to talk about a mess? He made some really poor choices based upon his circumstances. And he finds himself in a place and he encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, God is good. He is for me. He's not against me. I'm paraphrasing probably what he would have said. But he encouraged himself towards the Lord. We see the prodigal son, again, making a train wreck of their lives, of his life, through multiple choices against the things that he was supposed to do. And yet the Lord shows us that, God, that the father was good, accepted him, restored the position immediately. Those are extreme examples. Most of us are never going to leave the faith, so to speak, but we're going to find ourselves in places that are, that are outside of maybe where we should be, and maybe things happening to us that we think he's against us. He's, the, he's not against you. He did not do every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. There's no repentance, there's no shadow of turning. Good and perfect comes from him. So if it's not good and perfect, it's not coming from him. So where is it coming from? If it's not good and it's not perfect, it's not coming from the Lord. It's coming from circumstances. There is a fallen, sinful system that we're all a part of that is generating evil all day long. That's why we bring the kingdom and we are to generate the goodness of God into this world. We are that in this. The, the world is working against you in every way. Good and perfect. It might be circumstances. It might be choices. It might be just downright demonic attack. Devil don't like you. I don't know if you know that or not. I was talking with a lady in the back. I don't know if she's here. Grace, she was just telling me, man, we, we were praying with this girl, and we were helping her out, and she was helping me with this person. We were praying for her, and just God's doing crazy breakthroughs. And she's like, ever since we did that, she said, all hell broke loose in my family. So she told me. I said, yeah. When you start entering the kingdom and start anti he's not anti-Jesus, people. He's anti-power, anti-Christ. Very important. So as soon as you enter into power... Here he comes. He's not going to oppose Jesus. He's going to oppose power. And we think, oh, he's, you know, opposing Jesus. Not power in the sense of salvation because the gospel is the power of God. So is he opposing salvation? Yes. But not in the sense of Jesus. Jesus is loved in our world. You turn on any, pick, pick any network. Everybody reveres Jesus. Whether they understand him to be God or not, he is revered. His name is almost not profaned in any way in any culture because the devil's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-power. And so he resists the power of God through salvation. He resists the power of God through deliverance. He resists the power of God through healing. And he resists the power of God through prophetic. So if that's what he's against, what are we supposed to be for? 
We're supposed to be for deliverance. We're supposed to be for healing. We're supposed to be for prophetic. And we're supposed to be for power. That's the church. That's who we are. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the what? Ripping down of everything that he's built. You don't think he's going to defend it? He's going to defend it. You start doing inner healing and deliverance, you don't think he's going to oppose that? Because that's his stronghold. And we're going to rip it down. And we're going to scorch the earth. Nothing's going to grow there but the kingdom anymore. So far as I understand that to be. Got to get this. Got to understand that. So we have to celebrate the goodness of God in spite of his circumstances. You may be doing more right than you realize. How could this happen to me? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. How could this happen to me? Probably because you're doing something right. And the very thing he wants you to do, he will unleash hell on you to get you to quit. The fury such as you have never known shall come upon you, but it will not defeat you. You will walk through the fire, but you will not be burned. You will pass through the waters, but they will not consume you. A thousand by my hand and ten thousand at my right side, yet I will not fear. I will not fear. He will bring the legions against you. He will attack you in every circumstance you can possibly imagine. The Amalekites attacked Israel in the rear, through the women and the children and in their weakness. But God, who is faithful in all ways, he is going to make you victorious and he will make you an overcomer. The devil's plan, his master plan, Christian, is two, he has twofold. One, quit. Second, divide. That is his plan. You want to sum it up? It's that. Divide families, divide marriages, divide identity, dividing you from the identity that heaven has proclaimed. It is his master plan. We think division is only between individuals. It is far more encompassing than that. He wants us to, he doesn't want you to see, oh, we think division, we got to get along with each other. No, he's, gonna divide, he's trying to divide you from your identity. He's trying to divide you from your purpose. And he's trying to get you to quit at every turn. This is what he's doing. So what does it mean for us to be? It means that God would have us. It means that our power is in our unity. Our power is in our wholeness. And our power is in not quitting. That's where our power lies. If the very thing the enemy is opposing, that's where the power is. He is not opposing anything that doesn't have power. If you got a parking ticket, he's not opposing you. Christian, he's opposing you in the arena to which you are manifesting power. Just a thought. Amen. You wonder why your business is going sideways? Probably because you have the power to create wealth. You wonder why the enemy is attacking your children? Because you probably have a destiny and a legacy that's on your children. Just a thought. You wonder why the enemy attacks your marriage? Because there's an apostolic calling on your marriage. Amen. You are an apostolic team. Two. He sent them out as two. Where do we see two? In Genesis. Two becoming one. The husband and the wife were always a sent ones. They are a sent team. Paul didn't go with his wife because he wasn't married. Just a word. In the culture of the day, they didn't understand the fullness of the gospel either. So there's another reason. He is good. It's not over, Christian. Say this with me. It's never over. It's only over when I quit. You know, Jesus never tells you it's over. Read what he says. He never tells you it's over. He never tells anybody to quit, ever. How far you want to go? Read how he talks. He tells you keep going. 
He might tell you redirect. He might tell you keep do this or do that. But he never tells you to stop, ever. Ever. You can't find it. How far do you want to go? According to your faith, so be it unto you. You can see story after story after story after story. Peter could have went as far as he wanted to. Peter walked on the water till he sang. Jesus never told him to stop. He stopped. James and John asked for the right hand, of, right hand of sit next to Jesus' right hand. He never told, he's the only reason he told him, he said, I, it's not mine to give. But if you want more, here's what more looks like. He never told him to stop. Who told you to stop? Who told you you couldn't access more? Who told you? Where is the opposition in your life? Could it be there's where your power lies? Could it be that's your destiny? Could it be that's your purpose? Could it be that the Lord is looking to you to rise up into the person that he has called you to be and stop sniveling in a corner like a coward? Could it be? I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Could it be? Rise up. Right? The cowardly will not have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's what it tells us in Revelation. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. But one of the things it means, I'm not going to get into all of what it means, but one of the things it means is that the cowardly cannot access the dominion of God. So what does that mean? The courageous and the bold can. The Scottish proverb says, the spoils to the one who dares. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> crickets, crickets. Hey, man, the Lord's speaking. So where do we look for joy? You have to believe you're accepted as well. This is another one. The division against your identity. You've got to confront it. You have got to confront the division against your identity. I didn't even share this in first service, but I totally feel like the Lord is highlighting this. You have got to confront the division against your identity. You are a son and a daughter. Do you believe that? At the root of your being, do you believe that? And if you don't, why? Why don't I believe that? What lie am I believing? What untruth have, I, have been embedded in me that will not permit me to believe that? You're born again. You have an inheritance. Success is yours. Do you believe that? Do you? No, no. We're going we're we're to come right up and sit on the couch. Okay? I'm going to turn the TV on. We're going to ask some questions. Right? Do you believe that that's yours? Do you? At the root of your being. And if you don't, why don't you? What lie has been infused in you? You see that? The strong tower is the lie. That's the lie. The word of God is what is true, but the enemy sets up a stronghold, and the str one of the ways the stronghold reveals is through lies that we believe. And he creates division from what God has said and what he's trying to say or what naturally you want to believe. We've got to confront it. Next slide. Where do we look for joy? We look for joy in what he's done. For you make me glad by your deeds. Has Jesus done anything for you? Yes. Get happy, Christian. Has he been good to you at all? Yes. Anything at all? Get happy. Psalm, Psalm 71 says, I will. Say it with me. I will celebrate your goodness. Oh, here we go. I will shout as I sing to you. Joy requires a response, man. We were talking about this first service. I mean, we in Western Christianity, we worship silence. Be still and know that I am God. Oh, Gregorian chants, silence in the house of God. So silent you can hear a pin drop. Who told you that? You ever read what he wants? Have you ever once read what he wants? Leap for joy. 
Shout for joy. Sing for joy. Clap your hands. Do all of this stuff and more. It requires us to do something. And one of the basic things it requires us to do is open our mouths. We speak it for, for joy. It's actually a predicate. Shout for joy, for joy to come. Lord, we give you glory. When you begin to partner with what he has said, he releases what he has promised. Faith in what he is going to do. So we rejoice in what he has done and we rejoice in who he is. We rejoice by faith in what he is going to do. Even if this does not work out the way that I want, I will still worship you. Even if this does not go as I'm hoping it will go, I believe that you are good and you will still bring it about for my good. Faith. Joy in the communion of the Spirit. Galatians, it's about the fruit of the Spirit. One word, fruit. All of these things in one. It comes through the communion of the Spirit. All of these things are to lead us into the Spirit. All of these things, the mindset, the belief, the faith, all these things are to ultimately lead us into the Spirit because it is from the Spirit that this is born. So we worship, we honor Him, and so we shout for joy, we lift our hands, we celebrate, Lord, it's what you have done. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you, Lord, that you've been faithful to my family. I thank you that you are going to be faithful to my family. I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to my future. I thank you that you are going to be faithful to my future. And by doing that, you're activating him back to you. You get it? This is how it works. We activate, by stepping in, we activate what comes in return. And I was telling first service, as you begin to worship him, you're going to begin to feel his presence. And we start to feel his warm fuzzies. We start to feel his power. We start to feel the river. However, different people experience it in different ways. Some people feel a peace, whatever. It doesn't matter how you experience it. It's that you experience him. But we start experiencing his presence, and then we immediately push away. And we hold him right here. We just, okay, that's good. I'm comfortable right there. I got my leg about halfway into the bathtub, Jesus. I'm good right there. Let him move in you. Let him move on you. Let him move through you. Peter said, not just my feet, but all of me. Let him move in your heart. The Holy Spirit's moving on me. I push him into all my body. And I feel him in my nerve endings. I release him into the marrow of my bones. I let him move through my organs. I let him move through me in fullness because I'm his temple, you see. And I let him move into my mind ultimately. And he gives me the mind of Christ. And I begin to see and understand things that I couldn't see and understand in any other way. How about you? You have to enter in. If you don't, it's not yours. It's yours, but you got to enter. You have access, but you got to enter. Next slide. Last slide. Say this with me. Heaviness cannot stay where joy is. The Bible says, put on the garment of praise for what? Spirit of heaviness. What's it telling you to do? Start praising. Start worshiping. Finding things. Rejoicing. Heaviness cannot stay where joy is present. Be amazed how that cloud will just lift off of you, how the atmosphere of your home will just shift through praise. Nehemiah was called the governor. He was the governor sent back to the people of God. And they were called to build a building and called to put the things in in purpose, what God had ordained. And they hadn't been doing it. And they'd been doing it so long that everybody had forgotten their way. And Nehemiah said, the first thing you guys got to understand is who you are, who, who your God is, and what he has called you to be and do. And so he spends days reading to them from the book of the law. He reads the word of God to the people, him and the Levites. They begin to read to the people and teach the people for days until at the end of that they start realizing, wait a second, I am living beneath who I am. 
I've been doing all the wrong things. I've been going to all the wrong places. I've been thinking all the wrong way. And they started to lament. And they started to cry. And Ezra said to them, go your way. Eat the food, drink your wine, but do not, what he tells them is, do not grieve because today is holy. Here's what we do at the church. This is our holiness tradition. We think that holiness is directly related to mourning. So we see somebody who's just really down in repentance and crying. Oh, look at the holiness. Isn't she holy? Look how her heart is just broken before the Lord. God does not link holiness with mourning. He links holiness with joy. And he says, this day is holy to me. Why is it holy? Because you are beginning to understand who you are. That is holy to me. Because you are beginning to understand who I am. That is holy to me. Because you are beginning to understand your purposes and my purposes in this world. That is holy to me. Do not cry over that. That's what he tells them. Don't cry over that. I am so jacked that you guys are getting this. That's what he tells them. I don't want to see crying. I want to see a party. And he tells them, go and make food. Everybody eat together. And if nobody has food, then all y'all that got food, go and give it to the people that don't have food. I want everybody celebrating this. And that's what they did. And why did they do that? The Bible tells us they did it because they understood what was communicated to them. Somebody says, well, they did repent. Yeah, they repented, but they didn't repent out of his command. I just want to be clear about that. When this happened, and they, people were, God brought them into a place, and he told them to celebrate. And the natural response was, he built them up with joy, because joy is strength. And out of that strength, and out of them understanding the love that God had for them, they began to go, Lord, I am off in this way. Please help me. Lord, I am so sorry for living beneath my purpose. Help me to move past all of these things. That the repentance came not out of a directive that he gave. The repentance came out of his goodness. Am I putting too much weight on you guys this morning? This is too heavy. <laughs> Somebody said this. You never know what's in you until you get it put on you. You never know what you have the capacity to do until weight is placed on you. You never know what the capacity you have to become until weight is placed on you. The greatest thing that God could ever do with you is put weight on you. Why? Because he sees more in you than you see in yourself. And he's applying the weight to your life to reveal something in you that you don't even know is there. I feel like we're going to end it right there. Uh -huh. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Come on. Wow. Wow.